In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 hello. Ryan Roxy here and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. You know this is uh, one of my favorite times of the week where I get to hang out with you all, especially all of those of you that are in the chat right now. If this is your first time, just hit that subscribe button right there on Facebook Live or YouTube Live. Um, get in the chat, get involved because today, man, I feel... Uh, relieved, excited, and uh, very optimistic about our guest today because although we've had many a conversation backstage and over the years, we've never had um, we've never had him in the trenches. And you know, when I do this research, folks, on the in the trenches, I'm always impressed, inspired about the achievements that our guests have um, done, all the accomplishments. They really are inspiring. We like to go in the trenches and see what makes uh, these artists tick, what inspires them, what sort of is their, what motivates them for that creative process. And I know you guys are all interested in it as well. So we appreciate your support as always. So um, without further ado, let's uh, bring our guest to In the Trenches. Uh, he's coming with us uh, just outside of Chicago now, which is great because that's where uh, his home front is. That's where his band started. Uh, you'll know the name of him because of the name of his band. It's one of those, you know, it's got the name of him in the band in there. Everything's all works together. But would you please welcome In the Trenches, Mr. Chip Zenuff. Hello, Chip. Good morning. How you doing, friend? You did not Pretty disappoint. Well, you did not disappoint. This is the reason why I wore a festive candy shirt. I wore a uh, I wore my glasses because I knew you'd be sporting something. You know, our producer Vic wore something that has like wind, little windshield wipers on him, which was really cool. I mean, but uh, yeah. he's he tries. He's he's from Arkansas, man. He's trying his best. <laughs> Arkansas, not a, nobody's perfect, my friend. Oh man, you know what? You were talking about Arkansas. You were saying they have a really good gigs out there you've had some good shows well in the early days enough enough would play shows and you know we'd get called from our road manager in the afternoon saying yeah guys i'm not sure you want to play this gig right here there's two speakers in the, in the in venue there's no effects there's hardly a pa but the place is sold out it's got 200 people and the reason it was sold out is because new thing was out then our first single and mtv was playing the video so we had a little action i would tell the guy go hey let's do the gig I talked with Donnie. Donnie would say, yeah, you know, it sounds good. Like we can't have a day off. We can't afford it because we have a tour bus. In those early days, we just travel around Oscar Minor and Wiener Wagon or an ice cream truck. And now <laughs> here we are in a bus and we had to find out exactly how it goes. And uh, we found out very quickly that there's a word called recoupable. Ooh, and you got to pay uh, that money gonna back. We're going to talk about that. We're going to definitely but those talk gigs, about that. I'll tell you, the Arkansas gigs, uh, you know, that one especially was fantastic. We probably had... Uh, 200 people in a, in a little bit of room, yep. and we just played the first album. The place went crazy. At the end of the show, we found all the extracurricular activities you could find, i.e. pot, cocaine, women, <laughs> and just had a wonderful time out there. Left, left an indelible mark with me. I've always loved playing out in Arkansas. Well, we had a similar situation with the band that first started off as Candy but became Electric Angels. Uh, yeah. That was, and it was a different state. It wasn't Arkansas. It was in West Virginia. But I'm all too familiar with uh, rolling into a club with basically 
what we we would do is we does it have electricity? Okay, we're go, we're going. That's good. Yeah. At least it has electricity. <laughs> but it was a PA, and then there was a light bulb hanging, swinging. That was the light show, but no yeah. monitors. And they said monitors. What are monitors? And so <laughs> we played the gig anyway, and we used a uh, pool table as a drum as a drum riser. And I'm sure you've done plenty of those types of shows as well because you gave the oh, cat oh, out yeah. the bag. From yeah, enough's absolutely. enough, chips enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, bro. I, I remember those off-Broadway gigs with the lights streaming across the stage. And uh, as long as you had power, that's all you cared about. You're absolutely right. And uh, those people that came out to those shows, they're still talking about them, okay? We left an adult mark, and I, I'm sure you did as well. Well, you're talking about that band off-Broadway. You're talking about Chicago bands, because I don't know if you even meant to say off-Broadway, but I love that Chicago band. Uh, was it Stay In Time? That was the that was the first single off them? What a great yeah, absolutely. song. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They did very well here in, in, uh, on the south side of Chicago. They were loved beyond belief. They would play little clubs like uh, Beginnings in Schomburg, and uh, they would do hay, Haymakers or Haywires or Pips on the south side. I, I, perhaps they played the Thirsty Whale as well. I'm not sure. We are uh, going to save our, there. let's save all that information we'll for that. the off-Broadway uh, expose yeah, yeah, special those, that we that do next was, month. That band should have been big, okay? It's just, it's well, sad. There's quite a few bands, if you look through the history of rock and roll, that just missed it by an inch or two, and there's a reason why. And Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, we all know about the shoulda, woulda, couldas, but that's the thing. We are rock and roll brothers with the same influence growing up. We like, yep. before before the podcast even started, with your band, Enough's Enough, uh, the bands that I've been associated, whether it is Candy or whether it's Electric Angels or my solo stuff afterwards, basically, we are heavy metal Beatles fans. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to me, one of the biggest... And and everybody that sort of spawned off that the family tree, it all starts. The roots are the Beatles, and then from there you have these really strong, like the tree trunk is cheap, cheap trick, and then there's there's these really strong branches of I'd say Oasis, Enough's Enough, Jellyfish. So um, we have a lot of the same influences, no doubt. You know? Absolutely, uh, the apples are far, far from the tree. It's funny when we were younger and we listened to our mom and dad's records. Uh, we would scorn them. We would say, ah, what are, we, what are they listening to? And then as we grow up older, we realized that was the music of the future. That was all the shit. That's some great records. I mean, I, I'm sneaking in my dad's room when I was seven, eight years old, listening to Black Sabbath, and then maybe going over to Cream, and then Canned Heat records, the old Woodstock stuff he would have. And, of course, anything Beatles, I, you know, I, I always thought, well, it's a little light for me. I wanted something with strong, heavy guitars. But as I got older, I realized that the Beatles were heavy. And without the Beatles, there wouldn't be all the bands that are out there right now. We owe them. Paul McCartney invented my job. That's the way I look at it. Wonderful <laughs> bass player, singer. And uh, all those bands have really, really uh, have taken a toll on my life. That's for sure. Without them, I don't know what I would have done. Those bands are just fabulous, all of them. Well, that's why I'm so impressed today with so many kids that are into classic rock. If you go in our chat right now, you'll see there's a huge contingency of, uh, look at Chip's computer is blowing up. What are you getting? More more record deals getting offered to you? Hold on there, folks. <laughs> in the chat right now, we got a lot of the sort of, I call it the me generation, the young generation. But I always say that their interest in their love for classic rock is either due to really good parenting or or really bad parenting because this is the first time that I remember where a bunch of young kids actually liked the records that I liked as well growing up. 
Well, absolutely. When you look back in the history of, of music, everything evolves. There's a reason why. And our parents, at one time, we look at them as their bosses. They're telling us exactly what to do. We don't like any rules or regulations. However, as you get older, you grow up, and with uh, uh, you know, getting older, uh, you get more. Uh, you, you get smarter, and uh, you, you find out that there's certain things in life that are very important to you, and they they set the tone for where we are in life right now. Our parents, you know, wittingly or, or unwittingly. And I've had some, I've, I've got wonderful parents. Okay. Uh, my mom's not with us anymore. God rest her soul. But my father's still around 84 years old, still kicking it. And I was over at his house last week and he was, he was playing uh jellyfish. I go, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Listen to jellyfish. 84, I love you. Good. And for it gives him. me inspiration to be able to move forward as well. But you know, he's a huge fan of all the old rock stuff in his, in his seventies. He, you know, he loved the Cooper stuff along with Aerosmith. I, I and I was more of the guy that grabbed on the stuff over across the pond, you know, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and Beatles. Right. And I think that's a nice little potpourri that we've developed together as father and son. Plus, you've had this Midwest sort of contingents of like bands, like you said, off Broadway, Cheap Trick, uh, your own band, Enough's Enough. It combines some really good pop elements with some definitely straight ahead rock. I grew up in Northern California. Uh, outside of San Francisco, you grew up outside of uh, Chicago, I believe. But that's the thing that's really hard to find out about you, Chip. There's a little bit of a mystery going on with what happened uh, before. I'm not. I, I know that the band you and Donnie put it together like around 1984. But what got you into playing bass to begin with? Was it just that Paul McCartney sort of you know influence or who? What were there any bands before Enough's Enough, or was this your first dive at it? Yeah, there was bands before Enough's Enough. Uh, most notably, a band called Degeneration, and uh, it was a punk rock band, uh, very colorful and flamboyant. Uh, I I graduated from Brother Rice High School, and I went out to Los Angeles. Uh, I was sitting in the parking lot at like McDonald's or Burger King or something, and we said, you know, me and a couple of friends, we said, let's get out of here. Let's go to let's go to the West Coast. We jumped in the car and, and uh, went out there and uh, stayed at my aunt's house in Norco, California, and put together this band called Degeneration. And her husband uh, was a guy who does, his name was uh, James Wolberton. And he was a guy who was into uh, real estate. And he says, uh, I got some friends out in Las Vegas and some places for you guys to stay. And uh, why don't you come on out there with your band and, and do some showcases? And my first gigs were opening for the Grateful Dead and Boss Gags. That's that was my first gigs. I was a little kid, 17 years old, graduated from Brother Rice High School, and here I am playing on stage with all these heavyweights. And back then in Vegas too, we're talking the 70s. There was it was all dirt roads. It wasn't fixed up well. We stayed at the El Morocco Hotel. All my friends were hookers. Didn't know anybody out there at all. And but I knew that I had a dream. And I'd listen, I'd watch an American Bandstand and Don Kirscher's rock concert, the Midnight Special. And I think that sowed the oats for me, uh, where I said, maybe I can do this as a career. Because before this, I was playing baseball. I was uh, I was a baseball player. I've uh, heard that rumor. I've heard that rumor that you, uh, now, was it both you and Donnie that were playing, or was it mostly you? And what was the position? And, and just think about it. Like you were saying, right before the uh, we started press record, we said, hey, man. What if you would have taken that path as that, you know, major league pitcher? 
The career wouldn't have been as long. It had. It wouldn't have been 16 friggin' records, 16 releases, and a new one in the can, which we're going to talk about, folks. We're going to release a bombshell a little bit later on In the Trenches, as we do. But what was it that led to you in your love of, of baseball? And did you, is that where you met Donnie from, or was it through music? It was through music, but what led me into baseball was in the early days I, I pitched in the in the my and little league baseball and you know right. went through the whole thing pony league and played all these uh, different first games base. first base yeah, yeah I, I was triple a first base. yeah well not That's not triple a but but triple a little league i guess we no i get it yeah. yeah yep we all i think we all tra- traveled that uh, that road and uh after a while i realized that i had more to say throwing a, than throwing a curveball or a slider or a forkball to rewind a second i i got a chance though i was working under the tutelage of a guy named benny centura uh-huh. And Benny uh, liked the way I played. He liked. He thought I was a good pitcher, and he and he got me some tryouts. And I, a chance to pay, uh, play a couple of games with uh, the Kansas City Royals, Milwaukee Brewers, Cincinnati Reds, Chicago White Sox. Their farm teams. Went down to the farm. Yeah, went yeah. down to the farm system and pitched some scrimmage games. And I just didn't have a fast enough uh, fastball. Uh, speed wise, it was I was throwing around four, uh, maybe 84, 85 miles an hour. And back then, folks, they were looking for guys who could throw the ball in the mid 90s up to 100 miles an hour. And right. I had a lot of good junk. I threw a nice fork ball. I had a good curve, a good slider. I think, but at the end of the day, I I, I realized I had more to say writing a song than throwing a slider. That's <laughs> as simply as that's the way it went. It was well. That's uh, what I, I want to get into. I love that. the of it though. I want to get into that aspect of songwriting because that's what this whole angle of this in the trenches is about, trying to figure out this creative process as you go through and that you have gone through. You've been teamed up uh, throughout the years on and off. And like I said, when I go and do the research, I see the albums, I see the amount of work that you guys have compiled. So many uh, enough uh, v collaborations, much like in the sense of Lennon and McCartney, a la Lennon and McCartney. Uh, I, my whole problem is why do all these great songwriter writing tandems end up like Lennon and McCartney at one point? Why, why does that relationship, is it because sometimes you're so close that you have to sort of spend some time apart? Cause you guys have come together gone apart, come together a, a few times throughout, you know, the whole career of Enough's Enough. Well, I think with the, Donnie and myself, we, we've always had a propensity to get in trouble at any single moment. Well, trust me, we have. Our love getting together was for the music that we shared. Uh, but we shared more than just the music together. We really commonly loved each other beyond belief. And mm-hmm. we, uh, we I, I guess at the end of the day, uh, when we put the band together, we said, listen, we're, we're making records and we want to make them like our idols of the past. And that, that was our barometer. And we went through tons of stuff and, you know, the Beatles, it was, a, you, you can't compare them. It's almost sacrilegious because they're so brilliant, but I, and I appreciate the, the, the nod. Uh, when we pr- first put the band together, um, we didn't have the success the Beatles had right away. We, and we had some success with first couple records went gold, but it was a whole different time in the era then. If we would have came out a couple years earlier, my buddy from Guns N' Roses used to suggest to me, perhaps enough's enough trajectory would have been a lot, much different, and I'd be living in a mansion in uh, Burr Ridge. <laughs> but we came out of the box. We were recording our demos here in Blue Island, where I still live, uh, just making demos. And we had a four-track Fostex. Donnie and I would have all these songs. We'd pile them up, and he, he's a writing machine beyond belief, so talented, 
such a great singer. And we would just lay down these songs and we had hundreds and hundreds of songs. And it was about trial and error for us until eventually we were discovered by uh, Doc McGee. So Doc McGee was the first one that that, that heard it because I, I know that right around the same time that you guys came out, um, my band that I was in at the time, Electric Angels, was living in New York City. Um, I remember a few trips that Enough's Enough would come out uh, to the East Coast, but you guys were getting courted uh, heavily by ATCO. You've, you know, definitely the beginning records, you had some heavy, heavy hitters that were, uh, you know, around you you had clive davis for instance uh, uh, with the uh with the next record after strength on your third album and then but the first two records who was it that ended up signing you because you said that doc mcgee uh sort of discovered you how did it end up going towards that well i was in lake geneva wisconsin we were doing our demos out there and a survivor was there to pow change addiction was mixing nothing shocking and you had skid row in the studio with michael wagner and we thought, um, you know, we're listening to their earlier demos, the stuff they were tracking. It didn't sound like a smash hit. Band was going to sell 10 million records to us. And it was the early <laughs> stages, so you really can't judge. But we were pricks always in the beginning. And we, and if something wasn't fantastic, we would definitely pounce on it. And we were hearing this record, and we were going, ah, I'm not so sure this is going to hit the home run like we could. And Doc McGee comes in, and my manager at the time, a guy named Bob Brigham, gave Doc a couple of cassette tapes of uh of what we were doing and uh so doc of course came up to me a few days later and says hey chip i have three cassette tapes in my car two of them are your band i said oh thanks doc he said i got this friend out in in new york he just signed cinderella and bon jovi his name is derek showman he used to be the lead singer of a band called gentle giant i really believe he'd love your band i'm going to give him your stuff i said ah, doc thanks a lot and we we already knew that we had something happening. There was a girl that actually discovered us named Rachel Matthews over at Capitol. And she was a wonderful girl. And she had she had a great sense of balance. She knew exactly what was good and what tripped her trigger. And she said, I'm going to get you guys a record deal. And this is before we met Doc. And uh, Well, it's always we better to have two people. It's how, always better to have more than one people from different record companies saying, hey, I like your stuff. Sure. Because what does that mean, folks in the chat room that might not know? Bidding war. And that is always oh, good to be a record company darling at that point. Lots of appetizers. Absolutely. We didn't, well, back then, we just cared about finding a home that we can put our records out. And we liked Capital Idea because of the fact they had the Beatles and we could use their logo. And we had so many ideas what we would do if we were Capital. But then Doc uh, came back to us and said, uh, Derek wants to talk to you guys. And we already had this uh, deal memo from from Capital Records and Rachel Matthews for $150,000 which to us was a Brinks truck full of money. It is still, but still is. back then it was unbelievable. Yep. It was unfathomable for us. We were doing construction jobs and painting houses and putting floors in. And all of a sudden now we got these guys saying, well, uh, you, you sign this on the dotted line here. We'll give you 150 grand to make a record. And we we're very excited about that. Yep. But Derek said he wanted to see the band. He sent us a deal memo and uh, a facsimile. That's what it was back then, faxes. And he flew to Chicago. We were rehearsing at a place called Dress Rehearsal. And after the first song, Derek, our guitar player, Derek Frigo, late great Derek Frigo, yeah. he broke a guitar string and Donnie got on the mic and said, let me know if that Jagoff blew the deal and I'll fire him right now. We all laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and then we played one more song and we finished it. I think it was Heaven or Hell off the Strength album. And, uh, and Derek says, uh, 
Donnie says, you, uh, I think you've heard enough, haven't you? And Derek goes, I certainly have. And he played a little guitar, and we were sitting around. those girls in the studio, and everybody's drinking and smoking. And nobody's taking it seriously at all. And uh, the following day, he sent a facsimile saying, uh, we want to sign the band for a quarter million dollars. And we went where the money was. You know, we look back in hindsight now, maybe it would have been different going with uh, the Capitol people. And nobody would even know who we were. Or maybe we'd be huge like you, too. We don't know. You never know. We just know we, yeah. we had a home. And we were happy for that. And we liked the fact that Derek Shulman was a singer of Gentle Giant. So it was a guy that was like us. He was built in his, his same clothing. Yeah. And he wore his dress well. And we appreciated that. So what we did basically was we signed a deal with Atco Records and went right into the studio. And that's with Lake Geneva where we seen Doc McGee right. and talked about helping us procure the deal. And uh, he was really good. He goes, hey, uh, maybe I'll help you guys and manage the band. And he started managing the band as, as well with Bob Brigham. So we had a nice little team, as you were talking about earlier, we put together Always with some good wonderful to do that. pieces. Always good it, to put that team It together. really is important. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean – I remember when you came out because it was a very cool vibe. It had it had elements of of jellyfish image wise. You know, you still to this day big big flamboyant glasses, colorful. You know, yeah. but then you also had <laughs> heavier guitars. You it was almost like uh, like you said earlier, heavy metal Beatles. Um, personally, I always wanted to hear. Just, uh, you know, straight ahead rock and roll guitars. And I think that you and Donnie had that, you had such a great songwriting uh, flow going at that time. I remember, I don't know if you remember, one of the first times I think I that we ever crossed paths, and I don't know if we actually crossed paths, I went to your studio. It was during the Strength album. And it was during the recording of that second album you guys were doing, you were doing some sort of tracks in New York. And I want to say that Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick was playing a small little part uh, on that album. And I don't know if it's true because I couldn't find any sort of proof of it, but maybe you can back me up on that. Is it the last song, the Bouts, Hate to See You Go or Sad Time to Let You Go. Time to Let You Go. Now, did Rick Nielsen have any guitar parts on that or not? Uh, no, he didn't. He ended up playing guitar and uh, stuff later on, but he liked that song a lot. And so did Robin Zander as well. In fact, <laughs> we would play it in concert and they would come up and play with us. And Rick had, I'm sure Rick had a couple ideas. He was showing us a few little things, but he didn't, he ended up not playing on that record. He ended up coming and joining us on our fifth album, which was uh, Paraphernalia. He came down. I begged him to come down and play guitar and a song. And right at that time, we had a black cloud over us. Right. A we heavier were, album for you guys. Going, Paraphernalia was yeah, we a heavier going, record. Yeah, we were going through a lot of uh, tough times uh, with uh, record companies and with management. And uh, Rick says, uh, yeah, what do you need? And I said, I'd love you to come down and play guitar and, on a song for us. You know, we're getting ready to go to Japan. We're as big as the Smashing Pumpkins out there. And he says, wait a second. He goes, are you guys playing Budokan chip? I said, no. He goes, you're not as big as the pumpkins. <laughs> but I ended up talking. I ended up talking him into coming down to the studio. He brought his Les Paul down. And he walks into the studio. And Donnie V sees him. And Donnie says, hey, what are you doing here? And Nielsen goes, I was just getting ready to ask you the same thing. And Donnie <laughs> ran out of the studio. And I talked Rick into playing on three songs on that record. And coincidentally, because of that, I was able to get Billy Corrigan to come on down, who's a, a, a great guitar player. Yep. He played on a couple of tracks. And then uh, last but not least, I called JY from Sticks. I figured if I got 
Yeah. All James the heavyweights yeah. playing the record, it would help elevate our perception, help this black cloud disappear, but it didn't work. And like we always say it in the trenches, perception is reality. Hey, hello, Definitely folks. Is. We are we are hanging out in the trenches with uh, Chips Enough, uh, current frontman, bassist of all time for Enough's Enough. We're going to talk about what's happened over the years. We are going through a little bit of the musical history, the uh, discography, if you will, because Chip, you've been in one of those very rare situations where you've been all parts uh, of the record business. You've experienced all parts of what it's like to be on these major labels, the first couple records on Atco, and then getting signed by Clive Davis over at Arista. And then you guys go a bit more of the indie route uh, with, with albums that from like 1985, uh, Caroline Records, and... Uh, labels like that Spitfire I saw on the list as well. I want to know your experience and what the, the pros and cons, the strengths and weaknesses are of being on each. Cause you've had that chance to be on major labels and indie labels as well. Well, we left the major labels because we overstayed our welcome. Unfortunately, the first record came out gold record, really good. They were very happy about that. We went to the label for the second album strength where uh, our budget uh, moved up exponentially. And then the label said to us, well, you sold a half million records, but you guys are three quarters of a million dollars in debt. We said, how can that happen? (laughs) How do you sell a half million records? And we're in debt almost a million bucks. They said, well, you know, you guys were out on tour, but we gave you a lot of support. You guys had videos that you did that MTV played. Those cost money as well. When it was all said and done, we owed chippy poos to the label. We had no choice but to make a great record and try to get out of debt. So we went and did a strength record, and it was sanctioned by the record company that you guys are going to go in and do a 12, 13-song record and give us give us that, and you're fine. And we were at the Music Grinder in Los Angeles recording it, and Donnie and I came up with the idea. There's not one band that's ever come out in the history of music that's done a double record on their, on their sophomore uh, release. Right. And let's just start recording songs. So in one room, they would be uh, mixing stuff, and the other room would be recording. And we were just beyond belief, just so excited about what the prospects of putting out. Uh, honestly, we wanted to put out 32 songs. And obviously, it was crazy to do that. Was the thoughts were it's almost impossible to we'd be able to pull something like this up. But let's just get the material right now. So the record company never flow, showed up. Like I said, though, you guys were in such a good songwriting flow. I heard, I remember when Strength came out, um, I was listening to it a lot in New York. Yeah. Uh, I was um, really good songs uh, that, that that had a, a good spectrum of music. It had great ballads, had some great uh, straight ahead rockers. And of course, one of my favorite songs, is, uh, I think it is Blue Island. Uh, one yeah. of my favorite courses off that album, it is. And uh, like I said, you, yeah. you just said that you're living there to this day wow yeah we were trying to find a way where we can get these songs out there and get them in everybody's hands we weren't thinking about too much product not enough demand we just wanted to put out the best songs we could and we thought well if we put out a double record there's 32 chances of having another single <laughs> record company never showed up and all we did was we the only problem we were really focused at that time and you know, rick Krim from mtv would come down and hang out with us and i'd see dweezil zappa and of course the guys in cheap trick would come down there all my rock star friends would do. Uh, it was a real nice hangover at the music grinder, really having a lot of fun. And eventually Derek Showman from Atco came down to the studio and he says, oh, guys, 
we got a good problem. And we said, what's the, what's wrong? He says too many good songs. <laughs> and so we had to, we had to cut, uh, cut everything in half. I think it was a 14 or 15 song record at the end of the day. Right. But we knew once we finished that record, we have to go right on the road immediately. And we didn't talk about marketing or anything. That was the record company's decision. Yeah. Our, our thoughts were, let's just make a great record and then get back on a bus again and go out there and tour and turn everybody on to what our new, what our new direction, yeah, which it really was. That first record was the greatest hits. Yeah. The second album, it was a potpourri of different stuff because it was pretty much an autobiographical record. Well, you had one big cheerleader throughout, whether it was the early days all the way through uh, major labels, indie labels. And you, to this day, you've had uh, Howard Stern as one of your biggest fans and he's been supporting. So that's not a, a bad guy to have in your corner whenever you need that go-to interview, whenever you put something out. Um, how did that whole relationship with Howard come about and how did it help you or hurt you back in those days when you were relying on you know that sort of press as we all do in bands to get that sort of good word in? <clears throat> Excuse me, the relationship started with Howard uh, very off the cuff, I was at Atco Records, and D. Snyder from Twisted Sister had a brother named Mark Snyder, smart guy, just a real hustler, who and he worked for Atco, and he thought that the perfect marriage would be enough snuff and Howard Stern, and he and he approached us and said, "Hey, can you guys get up at five thirty in the morning and come down with me to the studio and meet this guy? He really can help the band." And he loves rock and roll. He likes metal. And we're not metal at all, but we had elements of that in our songs, obviously. We said, yeah, we'll go see the guy. Hopefully he doesn't think that we're a metal band because we're, we're more than that, I believe. And right. So we went down there in the morning and said hello to him. And he, and he had me at hello. He loved <laughs> the group. He already heard the songs before we got there. And he, and he loved New Thing and loved you know, Fly Michelle, of course. And uh, he, he first thing he said to us was, can you guys come in the studio and hang out with me for a day? And we said, absolutely. So we set it up for like a week later. Record company loved that because this business is predicated on friendships and relationships. No doubt. And now here we are. We're in New York. We're not from there. We're from Chicago. And we got one of the heaviest hitters out in New York saying, you know, I want you to hang with me for the morning and do my show and just talk about music and all your extracurricular activities that you wouldn't normally talk about to everybody. Let's just be brothers and hang out together. And I think he loved the fact that we weren't a homogenized band and he can tell us what we could talk about, whatever we want to talk about. We weren't afraid to expose anything that might not be in our best interest. And the record company seemed to love that too. The honesty has always been number one and, and his show has always been very transparent. So we went on the show and right after that, when the record came out, it took off. He was the guy that made it happen for sure in the very beginning, because right after that, we got David Letterman. Then we got the Badlands tour and all this action started happening. It just the, the band started elevating itself. So uh, Howard Stern and, and because of Mark Snyder was the big reason why Enough Snuff got a chance to take off. And where I'm, I'm talking to you right now. It's a miracle that I'm still going right now, Ryan, after all these years. OK, because the average life expectancy of any band is three, four five years. And here I am. Yeah. I'm, going, I'm going on number 36, still putting records out. And touring around the country, of course, we're all sequestered in our houses now until we can get through these unprecedented times. But the fact of the matter is I'm in a studio working every day. When I'm done with this show, I'm back in the studio recording more music. That's what I do. That's what I'm built to do. And when it's all said and done, bury me in my boots. 
I'm grateful for any contribution. To be a footnote, as little Stephen would say, is an accomplishment. <laughs> Damn, you got your talking points down, Chip. I like it, man. I got enough sound bites that brave words and uh, blabbermouth are going to be Bloody very knuckles. happy with it. <laughs> Bloody knuckles, always. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. So the thing is, though, Chip, you you have Howard Stern in your corner. Things are going well. You guys are putting out albums. But then there's obviously tragedy that has hap- followed the band throughout the years, unfortunately, obviously with Derek and then uh, then Ricky passing away yep. as well. And then Donnie's not start, you know, Donnie walking away from uh, touring with you guys in 2002. I think that's about the time that we actually hung out together because I remember meeting you with Alice Cooper. Uh, Enough's Enough opened up as a trio, a power trio. And this is what I admire about you, Chip. You know what? Like you said earlier, if it's got a PA, it's got electricity, I'll play the gig. And you guys were doing, you guys were uh, playing the Merrillville, Indiana, um, Merrillville, Indiana, uh, Star Star Plaza. Star, yeah, Star Plaza. And, uh, Remember that place? I don't know why my phone is going crazy right now, but there you go. Folks. Yeah, I do remember that place, the Star Theater. Yeah, the wonderful people that worked out there. Uh, now it's no longer. They, they've tore it down. They, just, and they destroyed it. They completely demolished it. But I remember you guys demolishing it that night. Um, it was Alice Cooper, uh, Enough's Enough, as a, as a power trio. Now, what's the difference that you find playing in all these different inversions of, of the band. I know, I know that it's, it's, you've had now two to two, the last two albums you've been singing and fronting the band, uh, nonstop, right? Uh, whether it's yeah. diamond boy and brainwash generation that just came out this year as well. Plus yeah. we have some new news to drop as well a little bit later, but what is that switch that you find going from being on the on is it stage right or stage left is your favorite? I'm not sure, but uh, going into front and center is it different for you? Uh, does it feel that okay? It doesn't matter because I am sort of the face of Enough's Enough. I wouldn't say that. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I didn't never wanted this job. I I, I enjoyed singing once in a while. I'll sing all the harmonies. I'm fine with that. Sing all the high parts. I just wanted to play bass and be next to my brother and playing these songs every single night. Uh, when he split and his last time he left was, uh, he left in 2002. Right. Uh, Came back in 2006. We, yeah. Yeah. We were out with uh, Poison, uh, Warrant, Quiet Riot, and Enough's Enough. It was a great bill. It's called the Glam Slam Metal Jam. Yeah, but I was there, sitting home. But, but very we few bands can going. survive that. Very, I mean, look at the tour that you just said. Poison, <laughs> Warrant, uh, Quiet Enough's right. Enough, Quiet Right. Very few people in the, those bands are alive still, to be honest with you. It's, it's a hard tour to survive because that that, yeah. that right there tells me that's a hard living tour right now. It certainly is. And listen, we didn't we didn't even know we were going to get a tour. We were, I was sitting home in my little pad. I was living in Beverly then. And I got a call from Troy Blakely, late agent Troy Blakely from APA. What a wonderful guy he was. And he says, hey, the girls at my at my uh, office hail Enough's Enough. They want you on this tour. There's like 30 bands on there. We pulled straws, Enough's Enough won. Do you want to do it? We had no agent at the time. Uh, we worked with this guy named Sammy Boyd, but uh, we weren't. There wasn't a lot of shows going on. The band was kind of f- fragmented. And I remember calling Donnie going, I got the Poison Tour, bro, if you want to go do it. 
and I, I, I pulled him out. He was, he was in a bad place at that time. And he goes, we have a bus. And I said, yeah, we got transportation. I found this guy named Zeke who had a bus company and Zeke goes, yeah, I'll take you guys off for 250 bucks at night. And now the, we were making a thousand dollars a night. Talk about being transparent. I'm telling you the truth right here. I like the stories, oh, man. Band, but you know what? Cause that's the thing. Making, our, that's the thing about our audience chip. A lot of them play in bands themselves. They're they're looking for this advice. What is it really like to be in a band? Because it's not all glitz, glory, and and everything's great. No, a lot of times it is. You know, two hundred and fifty bucks, a thousand bucks. You're counting how many shirts do we sell tonight? Are we able to make the next gig? You know, so- absolutely. That's what it's all about. It's about numbers. There, no doubt about that. But for us, it was just about keeping the choo choo train moving forward. Do we have a little coal left in the in the in the in the in the vehicle? So we took that tour on the pretense, well, get us out of our houses away from our old ladies, which is probably not the right re- reason to go on the road. And it was a thousand bucks a night to play on those shows. Uh, but we, my thoughts were, well, you know what? If we have uh, some T-shirts and some CDs and we sell some product, we sell can that merch. survive. Sell that merch, yeah, so baby. <laughs> I remember the very first show we played, we sold about $4,300 of merchandise. And we were really excited. And Troy Blakely told us before we grabbed the tour, he goes, uh, if you don't have an agent, don't worry about it. I'll pay you guys in cash every single night and no 1099s, no W-2s. I know it's not, not a lot of money. And on your days off, your agent, if you guys have a guy, can book you guys on your days off and you can do shows. I said, oh, that's great. So we were playing on that tour. It was four to five days a week. And then on, on, on days off, like Sundays and Mondays, we would book places in the small little clubs and stuff just to stay alive. But – well, I'm happy we're to know. I'm uh, happy to inform you, Chip, that nobody from the IRS ever listens to "In the Trenches" the rock and roll. Only the cool people. Oh, and then they, should, they shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> and, and in fact, if they did, they wouldn't make a lot of money. They have to wipe, you have to send them some tissues to wipe the tears from their eyes because oh, they're not getting any tissues out of you and me. <laughs> so we found ourselves on that road, uh, traveling around the country and in the in the bus, and about sixty shows in, Bobby Dowell. This is uh, allegedly finds some girl and uh, he, he ends up uh, throwing his back out in the bus, uh, trying to keep up with her. And yeah, allegedly, so yeah. So they say. Uh, so uh, so I go to Poison. I said, guys, if he can't play the tour, I'll learn the songs and I'll finish the tour out. We got seventy three people on the crew. I'll do the songs. I'll stay in the background. He said, and Bobby Dow says, Chip, learn the songs because uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this tour. So I learned all the Poison songs. It didn't take long. About two, half an hour. And then, uh, so I was ready to go out and play, but I was going to double dip, play with poison and play with enough stuff as well. And then they pulled that tour and that put us behind the eight ball. Like you wouldn't believe we were $12,000 in debt and there was no more shows coming up. And that's when Donnie, I think he met a girl on the road then his first wife, Joni. And that's when he said to me, Hey bro, I'm in love. I'm getting married. I'm moving to California. And that was the start of the, uh, the, the whole ship, you know, sinking. Yeah. And I was bailing out water as much as I could to keep everything's going, but I, it was really a, t- a tough time for the band. Yeah. And then uh, we, we just uh, we still made records. I still talked them into making records with me because that that love, that kinship we had writing songs was still there. It was and that partnership. I think I don't think it'll ever leave you guys. You guys are going to be uh, equated together with enough enough. There's no doubt about. It. But also, uh, you know combined with you guys, you've always been lucky to have some very talented guitar players. When I was going doing the research, um, 
I never got to play with guitar with you and your band, although I do love the music for sure. But the guitar players that you've had, whether from from going on, you know, originally Derek, I know you had a guitar player before Derek uh, Frigo, but but then I, I looked down at guys like Johnny Monaco that played with you guys, great, great player as well. Um, currently, Alex Kane on the guitar, which I know from LSD, and we've we toured, you know, before together with Alice um, yep. and other bands and stuff. So you've had some really talented talented guitarists in your at your disposal throughout the years for enough's enough well alex helped put the band together with me when i was putting together enough's enough with donnie back in 84 alex was the one of the first guys we got in the band actually we had a guy named gino martino who looked like the guy from quiet riot and and from i think vic has a picture of him right now vic you want to put that picture up of him you don't have it Okay. Never yeah, mind. He looked like Car- he looked like Carlos from Quiet Riot from the thirtieth row. <laughs> so he was the first guy that was in. But uh, we had Pete Camita from Cheap Trick. He was the guitar player enough snuff for a while as well. Get out of here. Pete, yeah, Pete had some. Uh, he had a few demons he had to deal with, so he could he didn't make the fourth quarter. You know what's then, funny? Course, I found it. I I had uh, Rick Nielsen on in the trenches a couple weeks ago. He said yeah. that John Brandt drove Pete Camita to the actual audition uh, yeah. for Cheap Trick. I mean, and they actually played the band together. Both of the re- replacement bass players of Tom Peterson were in a band together because Pete Kamita is a guitarist as well. So, I mean... And, I think, and they played in a band called The Thumbs together, I think, in the early days. The Thumbs. Thumbs and, that was with, and that was with the drummer from uh, Whitesnake. Scares me that I know so much about Chicago... Power pop, rock and roll, yeah, you straight you're ahead. Very, you're very astute, my friend. Well, no, you just go down that rabbit hole and then you really start finding out stuff and you enjoy it. We talked a little bit about uh, the Thirsty Whale. That was one of those clubs uh, that I played early in my career. I played it with Electric yeah. Angels. We opened up for Danger, Danger. You might have been at that show. Who the hell knows? I um, probably was. It was... Uh, but maybe, I was friends with us with Steve and Bruno. Right. But you were probably on tour at that time. But, but I do remember the thirsty whale. Oh, there you go. Who's that? Who's that a picture of right there? <clears throat> That's Gino Martino to your left. In the <laughs> middle, in the middle is the late, great Peter Blast. Wow. We lost him last year. Wow. He's Sorry responsible for Cole Wright. You can't put your arms around our memory with Johnny Thunder. They were best buddies. When really? Johnny Thunder would come through here in Chicago, me and Peter would go see him and play. And he played places like, uh, uh, beginnings, or he plays small little clubs too, like Jamie's Elsewhere, right. and uh, there was another one too. The I can't think of the name, but it started with the R. Big clubs that were in, in Chicago, a whole five hundred people, and they would all these rock stars would come through there and play. And yeah. then the guy to your right there, that was the drummer from Enough Snuff, uh, B. W. Boski. So. Wow! Look at uh, we, that, man. Well, yeah, we look at him in the I, middle I there. He, he's he he is basically uh, Johnny Thunder's uh, doppelganger. He's his Midwest twin, and uh, yeah, he was the lead singer of a band called Degeneration with me in, in Las Vegas back in the seventies. And then after I put together enough snuff, he went off solo, and we just happened to hang around with the right cool people. We were a, we were huge New York Dolls fans. We loved uh, any of that punk stuff that was in New York. Uh, blindies, uh, the heavy stuff. I think the Las uh, Vegas sort of history lost me. I did not. I did not realize that that's where it all originated from. I was always thinking Midwest, but no, Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah West. It was definitely West Coast. And I, you know, I, I listen. What trip? My trigger was watching bands like Mata Hoople. <laughs> you know, I, mean, <laughs> I love over and Watts on bass. No love doubt. his look. I like bands that were always flamboyant 
And it wasn't just about the music. There was a little bit of personality there too as well. Not to overshadow the music, but sometimes that helps elevate you when people see your look and they go, this guy must not be, obviously this guy doesn't have the nine to five job. He must be a musician all the time. And that, yeah. maybe that's where I grabbed it from. You know, like, at this time, who cares who drives a bus? Let's get to the picnic. So uh, I like bands with the look. I've always loved style. And I've always admired any groups that have a good strut. Well, speaking of bass, oh, the struts is a good example of that. We, we, we talked about some bands that are influencing us these days, but I want to get to the bass real quick because I am just curious. And right now I know I'm going a little off topic, but I want to know about, you ever tried playing eight string bass, 12 string bass? Or has it always been four string for you? I've been, I've been playing that since the first records of Enough's Enough. Always always 12 string or always eight string? Where were you was at? Most, I, had, I had an eight string bass from uh, a Chris Thomas from Elvis Costello that I was playing for a while. But uh, most of my 12 string basses I got from Peterson or from uh, John Brandt. Damn. And I, played, and I haven't been playing it lately because I don't have a crew. I'm traveling around with folks. I'm on a little tour bus right now, <laughs> you know, uh, an Oscar Minor Wiener wagon with front and back shocks. I don't have a crew. We got one guy that's running the whole show with us. It's the four guys in the band and one crew guy. And yeah. uh, we just we just want to get to the shows and make sure things work. Mm-hmm. So I bring out my trusty 1963 Precision bass. It's like a it's a hybrid, right? Precision jazz bass. I use that and the 12 string sit at home. Uh, but I listen, I love playing a 12 string bass. I'm probably one of the only bass players out there that plays 12 string with his fingers. There's tons of 12 string testimonials on. If you look on YouTube or uh, through the history of enough snuff in any pictures, you'll see me playing 12 string because that's all I would bring out with me in the early days. But you got to have, you gotta have that top tech to, to handle those yeah, 12 strings. Yeah, right? When I tune everything in octaves, it would be simple. Sometimes you could tune it in thirds or fifths as well, but I would tune the bass in octaves, make it real Sesame Street. And I pull up so I get guitar string with bass string at the same time. Very challenging to play a twelve string bass. Was it the uh, Chicago it influence that did that, or did you start that like in Vegas? I mean, where did I, you start I, playing the twelve string? Started. I started in Chicago playing the twelve string bass. Uh, yeah. uh, my my buddy uh, had a, a place uh, called Hamer Guitars. Of course, man. and I, I, I drove out there and I, I started checking out their stuff, and I ended up getting the bass an eight string first. Mm-hmm. Then I got the bass from Chris Thomas from Elvis Costello. Yeah. And then I started building on it and doing deals with Nielsen and with Peterson. Yeah. Uh, most notably, I sold my 58 and 59 precision and jazz bass, which are in Rick's guitar book, by the way. If you check out Rick Nielsen's guitar book, right. uh, it's fabulous. 99 guitars. So he bought uh, them from you? He bought both of those off me for $8,000. I kick myself and ask because those bases are worth 20 grand a piece for sure. A perfect condition. Excellent. Yeah. But we were hemorrhaging money at the time and the band was going through a, a, some tough times at that in those early days and record company gave us money to make the records, but they didn't give us any money to live. So I sold those bases and then I ended up buying some stuff. I bought a, I bought uh, the short scale 12 string off of uh, John Brandt. And then I bought uh, a couple of Waterstones off Peterson and got back into the game again. And I ended up selling them once again. Uh, I double dipped and made some money on those bases again. But I still have everything back. So it's it's at my disposal. My my rich buddy, is, uh, who's done very well for himself, is holding on to them. And when I'm ready, to, if I need them for anything, I can bring them on tour. I'll go grab them again. And I hope to bring the 12-string out one more time because it really fills up the sound. And oh, if yeah. you're a three-piece band, you don't need anything else. But to front the band with the twelve string, man, that's that's quite a. You got two jobs going on at that point, man. Yeah, who? There's a guy that does that. Um, 
Uh, King's Doug Pinnock from King's X. He King's fronts X. the band, but he, yep. plays eight, he plays eight string. Eight string bass. That's right. See, I've and gotten a, a little. Talent, it really is. Whew, I have a I have yeah. a problem with six strings uh, staying in tune on a guitar. So I don't even want to get into more strings than that right now. <laughs> well, it's a, it, it can be a little bit challenging because I watch you on concert. By the way, I'm a big fan of yours, bro. I love your guitar playing uh, and you. your singing as well. Appreciate and, it. Uh, and there's a whole different technique. Maybe your tech is not tuning them the right way because oh, you got to bend great. them in. You got to bend the strings. I just play yeah, the like, shit out of it. I just always bang it a little bit too hard. And sometimes, yeah, so you know. You, and you, I guess you can't, bl you can't blame your tech for something like that. So it's about you and your little idiosyncrasies <laughs> playing aggressively. And that's cool. That's what it's all about. You just got to have a couple of guitars waiting for you when you're done with every song. Well, the tour that you were going to be on this year, I thought the name was great when I went out of this. You were going to do the Straight Out of Quarantine 2020 tour with Faster Pussycat. You were going to be starting September 11th. I don't know if September 11th is a great day to start any type of touring, especially yeah. this year, 2020. But um, right. obviously that tour is postponed, or am I wrong? Are you guys still on it? Yeah, it's postponed. We went as long as we could go. I talked to Tammy from Faster Pussycat. He's in the studio right now recording some new material, which I thought was nice. All right. And he's the one that picked enough stuff. He said, just us two. Let's not bring anybody else out. I thought maybe having three or four bands on there would really be a nice thing. I think the, for the fans more than anything, because it's been so long since we've all toured together. Absolutely. Uh, but we thought, well, maybe at the end of the day, maybe it's just good having two national acts, two bands that MTV has touted. Uh, where we both had hit songs on radio and on TV yeah. and you know, the fans will get a bang for their buck, 20 bucks. And you see enough snuff doing uh, the hit songs and faster pussycat as well. People would love it. Maybe get Don Jameson or one of those comedians that go out there. Like when I seen Nirvana and they had yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait open the show, yeah. just something that's kind of nice for the fans. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the they, there you are taking that. a bite in that photo, taking a bite out of a Gibson, and I, I see a lovely Stars sticker somewhere on that. Is that your guitar? Is that your guitar player's? Is that the Alex's guitar? That's Alex. That's wow. Alex Kane's guitar. Yeah, two hundred eight. That's a picture in London. We were playing. We were out with Michael Monroe, and one of the guys backstage said, uh, uh, "Hey guys, can I get a couple pictures?" I said, "Yeah, man. We don't have any shots. We take some pictures of us." And that ends up as on the album, uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> on the new uh, Brainwash Generation record. So there you go. That And that's the album that's out right now. That brings us, you're saying Tammy's in the studio. You guys have a brainwashed generation out route. I know that Alex is on the record. But Donnie also appears on the track Strangers in My Head. And was that a was that a cool sort of uh, uh, reunion of sorts? And Or is it has there never been sort of... Is it, is it always going to be that sort of reunion? You guys are always going to be joined at the hip, but then he's coming in on certain songs, certain records. How did that song work out? Yeah, it was a happenstance. I'll tell you, Donnie called me on the phone. He says, uh, you're putting out that new record. He goes, we should do a song on there for the fans. It was him. It was his was catalyst there. Very cool. <clears throat> and I said, you know what? It's not a bad idea. Why don't you send me a few ideas and let me hear them, bro? And he sent me three songs. And they were all fabulous. Right. I said, oh, bro, this is great. All right, I'll sing on it and I'll play. I'll play bass and I'll play some guitar on it and I'll send it back to you. Yeah. And that's basically what we did. I called the record company Frontiers, our label, and I said I'd like to add this song onto the record. And they were a little bit hesitant because of uh, our reputation, uh, but they ended up uh, caving in and saying, "Okay, let's let's do it." So we put the song on the record, and the fans seemed to love it. The record came out of the box the first month. It charted. It was on Amazon Top 100 next to ACDC and. 
Bon Jovi and Journey and all the big bands. I was I was really excited. So was Donnie. And and I, I figured I'll go out and tour on this on the quarantine tour. Faster Pussycat Donnie will go out with his band, which is uh, – He's, uh, the name of his record is called Beautiful Things, which is a fabulous record, folks. You get a chance to check it out. Yep. His pipes are just incendiary, just a wonderful singer. And I, everything would be good. And then I got the phone call saying, hey, we're pushing the tour back. We're going to go out in June of 2021 with Faster Pussycat. In the meantime, just try to stay alive and do what you need to do. And I went back in the studio and started recording a new record which I think is, is people. And that's happening right, right now. That's, that's basically right going, because you said, you know, right after you get done with this interview here in, in the trenches, you're going to go back and start recording more music. And you don't know what it's going to be called exactly. You don't know if it's for enough's enough. You don't know if it's a solo thing. Could it be something where you maybe has more collaboration, maybe another reunion down the road? Sure. That, that can happen. I, I don't see why it couldn't. I don't want to say no for anything. I'm not a negative guy. I'm always, I'm always optimistic about what the future holds. And you, you, any interview you check out on me, I'll never say anything derogatory about that because it's, it's mean spirit. It's not what I do. I'm grateful for what Donnie and I have left at this point in time. And I believe that there's some more opportunities down the line for us to collaborate and do some songs and maybe a video. I There's still something great. in the it's tank, I think. Too. There's a little bit more yeah, left I, in the tank, I, right? Yeah, I, just, I don't see Donnie getting in an old... 1969 Chevy van and, and travel around the country like that, like I do right now, because I have no <laughs> budget for buses or anything. I'd be fooling anybody. You know, it's a fly in date maybe once in a while. If there's an opportunity to go to Japan, perhaps where Donnie and I really left an Adela Mark, yeah. but we, I know he would consider that as well. Uh, but what about the as, tunes? What about the tunes? Just like Damone yeah. would say, I mean, you guys got the tunes and that's the thing that, uh, Japan really took you guys in. Now, yeah. was that is that because of the music or was it a little bit because of the image? I would say it's a combination of both because they Yeah, I would say it was it was the music first because when you turn a radio on or put an album on a turntable or you don't, a CD you don't see the, the deck, music, you don't see the clothes. Yeah, you don't see clothes, you don't see hair, smoke machines, people shaking their ass, they just hear the songs. <laughs> uh, but I think that they liked the image of the band. They, we, we were very rough around the edges, and, they, and Japan embraced that. And they were a little dangerous, you could say. Had a little nod, and had a little bit of not a cheap trick. And I think a cheap trick is always going to be in the blood of the Japanese, whether you want to admit it or not. There's a little bit of appreciation, no matter what. You're absolutely right. Uh, listen, uh, uh, show me a band without influences, and I'll show you a band that hasn't written one note. <laughs> so we've always paid respect to our forebears always from the, from day one. And you are what you eat. That's and right. I, you know, we listen to queen records and Beatles and cheap trick and Mata Hoople and sweet and, uh, and, and squeeze and Aerosmith. And you li and then you listen to enough stuff. You go, ah, there's a little bit of elements in all those bands. And we tour with all those groups as well. So mm -hmm. never been ashamed of that. I'd love to get a chance to go out there and, and do another tour uh, where we play some shows in Japan. I think a tour in the United States might be a little bit too, asking too much right now at this time. And I like the way the band is sets right now. When Phil, when, when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, Phil Collins took over as lead singer. And that's sort of a template I use with enough snuff. I could have went and found a guy. Nobody sings like Donnie V. Guy's got the best pipes in rock. I you pray to God that, for that. Day, That's really cool, man. I, I pray to God one day people could recognize that and go, wow, this is a quintessential singer of our generation, one of the top 10 guys, because 
you know, when I run into guys like Steven Tyler or Robin Zander from Cheap Trick, they always ask how Donnie's doing, and uh, they love his pipes beyond belief. So you cannot uh, look at that without uh, putting a smile on your face saying, man, this guy is really, his contribution is immense. And I always, uh, and I I always, take, it, I always take it as a huge compliment when anybody listens to my stuff and they say, you know what, you sound a little bit like the singer of Enough's Enough. And I said, yeah. that's fine, man. If I could be a combination of that, Robin Zander and Liam Gallagher, I'm... I'm fine. I sleep well at night. I'm good with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> Three guys right there. Do I hail all those guys? I really, really do. I said we're um, on the same page with that. I, I, want, I, I wanted to point out just, uh, Vic, if you could put up the Dennis's comment one quick second, because you have uh, Alice Cooper, original Alice Cooper bass player, Dennis Dunaway, uh, in the chat room right now, listening to you, yeah. listening to the interview. And he just says, touring down in the trenches proves you genuinely love what you're doing. And you know what? Dennis is no stranger uh, to touring it in all shapes, ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, he's He's been in the private planes. He's been probably in the rent-a-cars, just like we all have. He's in the trenches. That's Dennis Dunaway, uh, Alice Cooper bassist, our brother in the trenches. And I, I Listen, I love his – he's a big influence. I, I love Dennis Dunaway's bass playing. Those early Alice Cooper records are incendiary. And he's got a book out right now. If you get a chance to check out his new book, it's fabulous. A great storyteller as well. He You know, he wasn't inebriated. He he's remembers a lot of those stories from the past. He was able to put that down, put pen to paper, <laughs> and uh, I, I commend him for that. But those bass lines and those early Alice Cooper records, just absolutely big influence on me beyond belief. I love him. Things I appreciate him getting out there and saying hi to me. And uh, I work with his other guys in the band, and you know the other players and Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Michael and Michael and the other Michael guys, they open okay. shows. Yeah. Michael Bruce opened some shows for Enough Snuff, and I'm not. I, he, we were playing at, at uh, where was it? Sidetrack, a little place out in Lamont, Illinois, unincorporated. <laughs> and uh, we were hanging out, and I was talking about all the old Alice Cooper songs and how much I love Dennis and Alice's pipes and stuff. And while I'm telling this, all my guys are doing cocaine in the back room, and different bands are the guys in Night Range where they're everybody's partying, do, doing blow, and just having a great time. And I he just shook his head, Michael. It. He wanted he, Michael sound wanted very to join rock and us, roll to me, man. Yeah, <laughs> Michael wanted to join us, but he didn't for a reason because he knew he wouldn't have got through that show because it was one of those venues you don't start the concert until midnight. So we played at four or five o'clock in the morning. It was a bar that where you throw twenty dollars on the table and you'd ask for a veal and coke to give you a bindle with it. It was an incredible place to play. Sounds a little Somebody bit like old. the Top Spin or somewhere like that. The Top Spin, what's oh, yeah. it called? The Top Hat, or Top Spin Cafe, Road yeah. Saloon. It sounds like a saloon yeah. of some sort. It sounds I something those places. Bro. I remember seeing you in the early days in New York playing <laughs> shows, and your bass player wouldn't call me up on stage, wouldn't let me play with you, but he called Donnie up and he got to do Beatles songs and stuff. And I was wondering, and I ran into your bass player yeah, after Stephen. that, Stephen. Yeah, of course. And uh, Stephen goes, I got to apologize, Chip. I was a real snaggletooth jag off. I shouldn't have had you up on stage, but I was embarrassed because you were good and I wasn't. Ah, I always loved the way he played. I love him. I was his teacher. I was. Uh, I, yeah, I, I taught him those job, three bro. notes that he knows how to play, man. What are you and talking those about? Early gigs, those early <laughs> gigs in the old days playing Limelight and all those small little clubs in New York, you know, yeah. Mercury Lounge or wherever. Boy, those were wonderful moments that we all had got a chance to share together. And it was all about passion and us, uh, all of us getting together and loving what we do. And I think that it showed in the end of the day because we all stayed on the same trajectory. We all same course. We all continue to make records, play music, and travel around the country. And it's we're very blessed, my friend. 
Well, speaking of like Dennis Dunaway just having a book out, uh, just Heidi chir- chirped in a little bit earlier on the chat. And thank you for all the people in the chat that are uh, hanging out now and in the trenches. If you are listening to us on Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, uh, pull your car over. Come on over and watch us on the old YouTube because you got to see you got to see the glasses, come for the glasses, stay for the hat. It's chips enough here on In the Trenches. But speaking of books, uh, Heidi was saying, do you have a book coming out? Are you are you going to write a book someday? Because you are a master storyteller yourself, man. Yeah, I do have a book that's coming out. I don't know when it's going to be ready. It's 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 been three years in the making. Wonderful storytelling. I, I Not to sound unmodest, uh, but I got a lot of friends out there who remind me of a few, quite a few things that we went through as well. <laughs> and basically, my book just exposes all the warts, scars, and tattoos of what Enough Snuff is all about. And uh, I think people will be very pleasantly 16 surprised. releases, folks. 16 releases. Yeah, 20, That's what really 20, impresses 20 records, 16 releases. And by the time the book comes out, it'll be 17. I'm in the studio right now recording. So, so, the, so the new album, which is yet to be decided whether Reunion, Enough's Enough, possible solo album, all that's going to come out before the book. So, folks, you heard it here first on In the Trenches. And if you yeah, didn't, absolutely. we're going to say you heard it here first. What do you say? <laughs> and that's there a good way. Go. That's a good way to uh, sort of uh, put an exclamation point on it because we're moving on to a point of the show where we say, if you don't mind, we've asked some questions. Uh, we've, we've put the word out there that people might want to ask some questions. Uh, it's called a segment we like to call Let the People Speak. Vic? <laughs> I don't know. We got to work on that intro. It's just, it's just, we can tweak that up. Uh, we got to tweak that up. It's, it, well, that tweaked was one of the name of your albums, right? Um, yeah. I think we've all been uh had a song or been uh, tweaked at one point in our lives yeah i we had a song called tweaked in dad's porno mag as well so um let the people speak the first uh question is from a daniel is it harder to rock today than at the beginning of your career not the begging of your career the beginning of your career vic i don't did you type that wrong huh by the way love your dressing style well thank you very much is that for me or is that for chip i think it's for chip either way thank you daniel <laughs> appreciate that it's easier to rock today is it is it yeah I mean, it's simple i mean come it's on man everything's social media you know ibuprofen yeah, just go in the studio make a record and then you put and then hopefully if you got to name it all and you work hard and you people know who you are you can put a record out for the newer bands it's it's a little more difficult i think right now because yeah you can make a record and get on social media but no one's gonna even pay attention to you unless you have some kind of history there's where there's something that's backing you up a little bit. So for guys who are veterans, it's easier to rock today for the newer bands out there. It's a little tougher. And uh, my recommendation is make the music that you love to make, listen to as much stuff as you can pick the style you're going to go with and then give it everything 24 seven, 365 days a year. Don't give up play shows, opening up for everybody in the early days. Enough stuff would open for BTO cheap trick, the guests who it didn't matter who the bands were. We just wanted to play shows and steal their audience. And I recommend every band out there do the same thing. Well, Hey man, have you, do you prefer being in the studio recording those tracks or do you prefer performing them once they're already recorded? I prefer recording once they're recorded. I want to see my friends, my brothers, my sisters, all my, all the people that have been following us for years and the new people that never heard of us before. And I give them a great show. And leave I'm a live show guy. Heart. Yeah. I'm a live yeah, show so guy. I, I like playing shows, but if you told me right now, Chip, I'm going back in the studio. I want you to play bass on my record. Uh, I'm 
I'm just as excited. Okay. I love playing on guys' records. And I listen, in the last month and a half, I've played with Kip Winger. I played with John Anderson from Yes. I did the Fuzz Bubble record. I just played on the Megadeth record, uh, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Ellison's solo record, which is called No Cover. I'm spreading myself real thin right Chip, now. Chip, I might have a song for you. I just might have a song for you. Look at there. Look at you guys, man. Wow. Well, Hold Kip's on. a pretty good looking guy with my sunglasses on. <laughs> He's a very handsome lad, you have to say. That is no Just imagine the tail that he met in the early days. There is okay? no filter on that shot. That boy, guy was more Christmas than Warren Beatty in the early days, okay? <laughs> now he's a good boy because I've seen his wife. She is a goddess. She wears her boots well. You can, but in you, the early days, Kip was really a, a really wonderful looking man who just bring in a lot of trim. He still is. Just ask him. Um, yeah, so, I love him. <laughs> so our <laughs> next question is from at Adipa17. Uh, what was the best moment you remember in your music career? Maybe you haven't had it yet. You know, I know you've had some good times. You've been on the, you know, you've been on all the late night shows. You've yep. had Howard Stern in your corner all these years. Do you have one of those, aha, this this is pretty fucking cool? Well, you got a lot of them. I mean, if I got, and we, we I know we can be nominated in, uh, in the Hall of Fame now. That'd be nice if, if they wow. said, hey, we're is, that, is, is that an option now? How do you, what, what are, see, I'm not even, thinking about although i'm playing in a band that is inducted in the hall of fame that's all Congratulations. you know thank you very much but that's dennis that's michael that's glenn that's alice you know that's that original band for me yeah but you're 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 now a part of that vocabulary i'm happy to be part of the legacy but yes. all the credit goes to that original band and it's not just because dennis is in the chat room checking out on me taking notes saying are you sure he said that right but no dennis the original band they earned that. That's the, the reason why I have a job is because I get to play those great songs every night yeah. with the coop. As I always say, I play in the best cover band of all time. We just have uh, the original singer. That's the only difference. Yeah, well, that's pretty important. <laughs> it's pretty important. Kind of important. You know, but as far as the compliments, Ryan, um, I can't point out one of them. I mean, obviously having my daughter, that was, my daughter Tara, that was a great accomplishment. But for the band itself, maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't, uh, gotten a chance to taste that yet i know one thing i do love is the fact that i get a chance to go out on the road and play shows and meet all the fans that are out there that's a that's a huge accomplishment i've gotten thousands and thousands of new friends and fans out there and maybe that would i would go with that because without the fans we're not even talking right now well you're gonna have i'm telling you Dozens and dozens more after this podcast. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, we're working on the numbers, buddy. We're working on them. We're 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 putting them out there every single day. Hey, my show too. You know, I got my own show as well. You I'm do on, do you do a radio? Are you doing it with? Uh, I'm on Dash Radio it's called the Monsters of Rock. Okay, channel five hundred two. We have a half a million people a day listening to the show. Over a hundred million people subscribe to the network. It's the next serious XM. Okay. Satellite radio. Well, then you have me blog. on your damn show. Now, instead of me having you on my show, I, I want to be on yeah. yours. Is Harlan you doing it? You know my boss, All Harlan right. Hendrickson. Is yeah, Harlan doing hailed. it? Okay, cool. Gonna... He hails you beyond belief. Right now, he's sequestered on some island right now, hunting for mermaids, drinking loudmouth soup. He's out of control. <laughs> but he's got a wonderful program, and we got Rudy Sarzo on there, and Orianti's got her own show. Kylie Jenner has her own show. Snoop Dogg, Be Real. Just put Cyprus me on here, dude, dude, Just just put you, this on that show, and we'll just I agree. simulcast it. Yeah, dude. people would hail you. They it's, really it's would. Done. All right. But they, you want to be able to see your mug. You don't want to. You, 
You don't have a face for radio. You're too good looking. Ah, you come need on to have TV. Go on, go on. It's a good mug. I love your teeth. I love your eyes. I love your nose. <laughs> Beautiful voice. Nice too. That's your that's Here's your, your brave word soundbite, folks. Chips enough <laughs> loves Ryan Roxy's nose. So uh, one last question from uh, Let the People Speak, and this is from at Cooperized. Uh, the peace sign is often included in your works. What meaning do you give that? Because, yeah, the whether it's been from the early logos of Enough's Enough, whether it's been through many of the uh, promo shots and, and sh pictures of you over the years, the peace sign is a prevalent part. What is uh, the significance besides peace, obviously? Yeah, we own that peace sign, by the way, with the little notches cut out in there. We had to cost us 70 grand for that. So that peace sign with the little notches cut out around it. Wait, wait, wait a second. Let me see it. Let me see it again. The little notches. The little notches. Oh, okay. Well, that's worth 70 grand right there. Couldn't you have just done a that. peace sign or a smiley face? I bet you the guy that did the smiley face with the all the, uh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't pay a cent, but somebody paid 70 <laughs> grand. Back in those days, was that ACO record money back in those days? Yeah, that, it was ACO record money. Yeah, that's, that's, that's recoupable. <laughs> Yeah. We, when we were putting that first record out, we, we rented a dilapidated hotel room out in Chicago, Illinois. Had a guy named Tony DiOrio come out there and shoot the band. Wonderful photographer. We bring a bathtub in the room, a couple motorcycles, a bunch of booze and stuff. And we took these pictures. We spent about 20 grand in a photo shoot for a day out there. Then went back to New York. Derek seen it. He goes, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to give the pictures to... Doc McGee, who's managing the band with Bob Brigham now, right. and we'll come up with a game plan on what we're going to do with for an album cover. And Doc's seen that, and he goes, I heard the record, and I'm looking at these pictures of you guys in a dilapidated hotel room with you holding a bottle of, of liquor and uh, Donnie smoking and Derek in the background on a motorcycle. And he goes, that's not the image these songs – that's not what I see when I, hear, when I hear these songs. And he looked at Donnie's arm, and Donnie had a peace sign on his arm, and he goes – now, that would be a good cover right there, Doc says. He goes, because it's a peace sign, and it looks good, and it means good things. And that day, we changed it, and, the, and instead of having that picture of us showing how promiscuous and the substance abuse problems we had before we even had a record out, to putting a peace sign out there, which is hope and love and praise and being grateful for where you're at right now, that, to me, spoke volumes. So we changed that day at that dinner meeting. We changed our whole image not with our faces and our look and hat and shades and everything, because we've always been colorful and flamboyant, but with the album cover, instead of having our faces on there, that peace sign, because it leaves it open to an imagination True. for anybody to know, well, here's the band, enough snuff. I wonder what exactly what this is all about. You can't really tell by the cover where if they would have showed that picture, it might have just, might not have been, it might have been the wrong way to go. I got to be honest you with you. Chip, couldn't you have just actually taken a picture of Donnie V's arm and saved yourself 70 grand? I'm no, just saying, I'm just saying, you yeah. just take a picture yeah, of his not, arm. Not, and a it's... Bad, not a bad thought, but he had a little bit, he had some other stuff on there as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would leave that alone. Some hairs. He's been all by himself. A lot of bands were, just going, were trying to cop that whole image back then as well, too. As a matter of fact, there was a group that called De La Soul. They came De La up. Soul, I remember that, yeah. It. And that's one thing you can't really copyright the peace sign per se. That's why we have the little notches cut out on there. So everybody knows it was us as well. And I'm glad that we did that because that's how I live my whole life, bro. I'm about a peace and love type guy. And I look out for, I have empathy and respect and sympathy and love for everybody out there. And at the end of the day, if these songs can pull us all together and get you out of, 
a tough time in life for, you know, a, for a little a, a moment of uh, clarity for you, you know, some a serendipity. I've, I've served my purpose here on earth. Well, you've done a good job today, man. I'm telling you, you're getting a lot of inspiration going. You're being very transparent. I love the fact that you actually told us what you actually made on a certain tour, which is fine. If you're just joining us right now, you got to go back and rewind for that stuff. But uh, we're hanging out with Chips Enough from the band Enough's Enough. That is probably one of the questions that people want to know a little bit about because was it just the name of the band Enough's Enough and the sort of phrase that kind of fit? Hey, my name's Chips Enough. Why not? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, was it Chips Enough before Enough's Enough or was it Chips Enough after? And uh, how did that? Uh, we were, well, we were putting together the band and we were naming each other. I, I was uh, I, I was going to be Chips Enough and my name is Chip. I've always been Chip. All right. And Donnie was going to be Donnie V. Uh, just abbreviating his last name. And so we were naming each other on the way home from a rehearsal one day. Is Donnie, is Donnie Polish? Yeah. We were talking about being Polish earlier because I'm, I'm Polish. I'm Ryan Roksevich and that's my, yeah. my sort of, sort of quick name. Are we all yeah. just like Polacks here? Because I think it, a little, I think a little gentle Yeah. Uh, which means good morning or good day. Well, I, I know Kinga knows. Kinga's going to love us if she's in the chat right now. She's going to love the fact that she's from Poland and, and all us Polish people are here. But is Donnie yeah. actually a little bit as well? He's got a little bit of Polish in him as well. Yes, he does. He's in these, uh, he's got, he's like, a, he's like a poodle dog. He's got a bunch of different stuff in there. So you, I think you, we all are. now, you know, is your name abbreviated or is this completely made up? No, my father, when I was born, it was Rybarski, R-Y-B-A-R-S-K-I. Oh, was S-K-I. My dad's name. Oh, that's my Polish. Dad's yeah. Gregory. And then from Chip Gregory, I went to Chips Enough and I've been Chips Enough since 1984. Right. And I've traveled around the country as Chips Enough. I, 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 even in the old days when I was touring, I'd have a, uh, I didn't have the ID, so I would have my CD, and I would go to the airport and show the people at the customs, uh, this is me. That was my identification back then, was my album cover, honest to God. Okay, With but my mug on there and my face. Do you got a driver's license with this enough on it, or is it the original? Now I, now I do, but back then I didn't. Okay. So I do these old tours a long time ago when I was playing with Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses or playing, with, playing bass and missing persons. My ID was my CD when I had to fly shows. We weren't on a bus. <laughs> I love it. And it worked every single it time. Is me. Look at me. I'm yeah. next oh, to yeah. the peace sign. And, and they would ask, well, can you sign it and give it to me? And I would sign it. I'd have a bunch of CDs on me. And I'd sign it and give it to them. The powers that would be to let me on that plane. Yeah, that's funny. If you just went like this, they go, "Oh, okay, you're you're in." Oh yeah, let, let him on. He's okay. <laughs> He's got the peace sign. That's funny, man. So let me ask you this: on your because I am Ryan Roxy. A lot of people do ask me if is it on your passport? Is it on your driver's license? It is. I am Ryan Roxy. But yep. is, is your uh, abbreviation E capital E apostrophe capital N U F F? Is that the way it's spelled, or is it not? No, it's just Z N U F F. Chip Z N U F F. No small n too. Damn. Yeah, small n. I guess you can't copyright an apostrophe or a peace sign. That's what we've learned. No, today. you can't. And I wasn't trying to do that anyway. Just as long as you can say the name phonetically the right way, I was happy. Well, I'm you know, glad. Call we've... me what you want, just as long as you call me. We're going deep, deep into the grammar of Zenuff's Enough today, man. Enough's Enough. Chip's Enough. Ryan Roxy. It's all Polish. It's all fun. And uh, it's been a great time with Chip. Um, we are heading out pretty soon now because we do have a lot of guests. You mentioned Michael Bruce. Uh, that's one of the. 
uh, possible guests coming up up on the uh, in the trenches on these episodes that we are trying to uh, tap into that creative process of what makes everybody that's in the trenches. Uh, have a long career and uh, most of the people that I'm able to have on the show are always uh, very inspiring and there's a reason why they've been so successful. You are definitely, uh, you know, of course, another reason why, uh, and you've proved it today of why you are so successful, but other guests that we have coming up. And then this is one of the questions that I saw, but I didn't put on there. Uh, Joe Satriani is a possible guest as well. Uh, Desmond That's child. Nice. And these are Love names. And, and, uh, one question was, uh, what do you think of Steve Vai's music? And that was a, that was a weird one. I thought, but maybe it might've <clears> been a Steve Vai fan. Have you ever had any interaction with Steve Vai? Absolutely. I've seen Steve a bunch of times in concert. I loved him when he was in Frank Zappa's band. They were fabulous. He'd be on stage, he'd be cutting his hair and stuff while they're talking, going through little segments of their songs. And a, a wonderful guitar player. I loved him and David Lee Roth as well. And then I seen him uh, in 2018 on the Monsters of Rock cruise, the Larry Moran cruise, I call it. Larry Moran's the guy that runs the whole yeah, thing. That is. He's the guy backstage counting $100 bills, dancing around like a little leprechaun. We should have been on that this year. We were supposed to be on that. It was supposed to be Alice Cooper. So hopefully, again, one of those postponed words. Yeah, I'll be on there next year with you guys. 2021, they're going to do the tour I've seen. It's May 26th through the 31st. And it's not a a boat cruise where you get on a ship and travel. Yeah, it's an island. fly to the island. You're there for a week. It's going to be a great time, bro. I'll bring my microphone. Alice Cooper will be headlining. It's sold out already, by the way. All right. Well, I'm going to bring my microphone. I'm going to come on your show, and then you're going to come on uh, In the Trenches again. We'll do another episode. We'll catch up with all this stuff. You know, because everything that's happening, I know that the the album right now is out um, that just came out this year. Um, Of course, it's called um, Brainwash Generation. But But you're in the studio right now working on a project that could be one of many things. So we're excited to hear what's going to happen up with that. Um, Now, as we head out to the highway, just for those that are listening to the Apple and Spotify and might not have a chance to uh, look at us, of course, you need to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you are watching on that. But please tell the folks, Chip, how they can get in touch with you on your social media because um, people do want to find out more about you. Um, can you just say your social media is uh, out loud for those that are yeah, listening? Absolutely. Uh, by the way, uh, shout out to Apple and Spotify for uh and YouTube as well for showing us show and letting everybody get connected together. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Chips Enoughs, Instagram, Chips Enough, Twitter, and Facebook, same thing. Or you can find enoughsenough.com, E-N-U-F-F-Z-N-U-F-F.com. The new album is called Brainwash Generation. Dax Nielsen from Cheap Tricks is playing drums on half the record, along with my drummer, Dan Hill. And, of course, the great Mike Portnoy, my cousin from Dream Theater, now he's in the Winery Dogs and Sons of Apollo, is playing drums on a track as well. Uh, solid rock record, where the last record was autobiographical. This one uh, just oozes sexuality beyond belief. It's a really strong rock record. I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Wish I could go out on tour right now and play on it. But uh, next year, 2021, Faster Pussycat, Enough's Enough quarantine tour put on through Sullivan Big Live and uh, Live Nation guys along with artists worldwide starts in June. In the meantime, just check out enoughsnuff.com for any details, any merchandise stuff. And Ryan, I can't say enough about you having, uh, having me on the t- on your show. I'll give my it. program director over at 
the monster rock your love and just tell him that you want your own show as well and maybe we can put something together. He pays very well, by the way. Syndication, baby. Syndication. You know what? We got ourselves a little uh, a little pack going on here and uh, we love uh, the Indie Trenches bunch and we are very thankful to have Chips Enough on today. Um, again, I'm just looking forward to when we can get on stage again and finally jam. And you said you're spreading yourself thin about playing bass on uh, on some songs. Well, I might have yeah. a song for you that you might want to listen to after we close out here. So, folks. I love that. I'd be, I'd be honored to play on your stuff. And uh, uh, shout out to Joey and Vic, too. They helped make this show happen. Uh, you got a wonderful manager and a great team. And I'm, uh, I'm grateful that they... Uh, will help me and navigate these waters with me because I haven't done this before. It's first time doing something like this. But you're great at, at spreading the love, and that's great because you know what? Our producer, Vic Chalfont, has done a, a stellar job, as he always does. Joey, thank you for putting this together, and uh, we look forward to having many more of these in the trenches. Uh, some special sauce episodes coming up, folks, so uh, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we've had chips enough, and uh, folks, until next time, I'm Ryan Roxy. Enjoy the ride. See you guys.